unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Coming up on this week's show, we preview the upcoming college football season. Randy Angolia of ESPN will join us to break it all down. Randy is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a few moments. So I wanted to uh, do a little uh, follow-up on the Field of Dreams game in Major League Baseball between the Yankees and the White Sox. In fact, uh, when I was interviewing Alan Bestwick last week, I was recording the show during uh, the early part of the game. So I wanted to have a little, little additional follow-up to this. Uh, and they are going to do it again next year. Looks like the Cubs and the Reds will be the uh, participants in that one. Uh, boy, just it was the highest-rated regular season game in 15 years. Millions of people watched and uh, just a great presentation by Fox. If they've ever had a perfect presentation, that might have been it. Uh, just outstanding the way they did that, weaving in the uh, the, the the clips from the movie, uh, interviewing Kevin Costner during the game, and the scorebook. They made it look like you know when when uh, data was changing, it looked like a little sign was being pulled back and put back up. You know, kind of like the uh, manual scoreboard. So that was pretty cool, too. So uh, excellent job. Um, again, I think this could be a potential every season thing. I Would it get old? You know, uh, I did hear somebody suggest maybe they should do a, uh, a, uh, uh, a Bull Durham-themed game in Durham, North Carolina. That could be pretty cool, too. And Kevin Costner will get more run out of that, too. So there you go. Aaron Rodgers. Okay, so this will be the last time I talk about him again for a while. But, you know, here he, he comes out recently and says that, uh, you know, last season he really was thinking it was going to be his last in Green Bay. And then now he's been on Dan Levitard's podcast and said it was 50-50, he was going to retire. Enough. You're reported. You know, is Aaron Rodgers not the LeBron James of the NFL. He's just exhausting. And he's got to the point now where he's like LeBron, just whining and moaning and pontificating about everything, and enough is enough. And our old friend Scott Frost in a little bit of uh, hot water, according to Brett McMurphy of the Action Network, Nebraska football and Scott Frost under NCAA investigation for improper use of analysts and consultants during both practices and games. I guess analysts are allowed to coach the coaches, but not the players. And also said Nebraska moved workouts to an undisclosed off-season campus location when all workouts were shut down due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Not clear whether that's part of the investigation or not. Also not clear if it was a players-led type of scenario. Um, but anyway... Uh, more trouble for Scott Frost, and it has not been good since he left UCF for Nebraska. 12 wins in three seasons. You know, another Cornhusker legend, Trev Alberts, now is in place as the athletic director, and he didn't hire Scott Frost. Now, will he give a fellow Cornhusker legend a chance to turn things around? We'll see, but if he wanted to part ways... He's got his opportunity to do so, and they could do it without cause, with cause rather, and uh, not have to pay him his large $25 million payout. So, uh, again, you know, I kind of look back at all this and, and want to say maybe karma, 
you know, Scott Frost, love what he did here at UCF and uh, getting us our our national championship, quote-unquote. But, you know, he did parlay his work at UCF during the season to go to Nebraska. So uh, maybe karma a little bit of a bite there. All right, time now to uh, preview the college football season for 2021. And it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show from ESPN, Rennie Ngoya. Rennie, thanks so much for being back on the show. You got it, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So, uh, and also I should congratulate you on your new contract extension with ESPN. Congratulations on that. Yeah, I'm back another year, so that's good. So hopefully hopefully the year goes well. So, I mean, hopefully it goes well for all of us, you know, with everything going on. But, yeah, excited to be back uh, behind the microphone. Yes, and uh, of course, one of your first assignments was covering the uh, AAC Media Days. Uh, can you give me some uh, thoughts on that experience? Yeah, uh, great new uh, headquarters for the conference. Of course, uh, for those of you that don't know out there, it used to be in, in Providence, Rhode Island, because, of course, uh, the American prior was the Big East, and so that's where Big East headquarters was. So obviously, once you know, a few years have gone by and the Americans kind of spread out. It really didn't make sense for them to stay in New England, especially without a footprint in New England whatsoever. So they moved to Dallas, Texas, a uh, beautiful facility. They're actually in the same building as the college football uh, playoff committee uh, headquarters, Bill Hancock's office, and, and those folks are a couple floors up. But it's funny because Mike Oresco said, honestly, I had no idea we were in the same building when we rented it. But it's really nice. Uh, they put a full studio in there, so they'll be able to do uh, all kinds of uh, highlight shows and features during the year. So, really nice facility and, and, and a good location for the conference. Yeah, well, uh, will you be having a dose of of AAC games on your schedule this year? You hope. So I don't know. We find out uh, a lot of people. So that's probably a good place to explain it. So we don't really uh, we don't really get a conference. Uh, it's and we don't really get a time slot. It's more kind of a network. So I'm primarily on ESPNU and ESPN two. So uh, and we usually find out a couple weeks in advance for like maybe the first three or four weeks of the season. And then obviously, depending on if teams are winning or losing, uh, that kind of dictates the schedule, right? It makes sense because it would get slotted in if a team's four and zero that. Maybe they weren't expected to be 4-0, and all of a sudden they got a big matchup. They're probably going to get a prime time, maybe ESPN or even maybe ABC. And so that's how they kind of get slotted. So once we get into probably October, then we kind of find out week to week. Uh, but in the beginning, it'll be the first few weeks. Uh, the schedule uh, isn't officially out yet, so I can't actually tell you my first two weeks, <laughs> although I know them. Um, but I'll get smacked on the wrist hard if I, if I say it. Um, it is floating around out there on Twitter. So I know my first couple of weeks, I can tell you it's not the American. Um, so I can leave it at that. But uh, I'm hoping to do some American. You know, there was a time, Jeff, where a few years ago, I, I mean, I pretty much exclusively did American. And that's just kind of the way it ended up. Um, and so I, I, I end up getting, uh, you know, a good uh, relationship with a lot of the programs, a lot of the coaches, and obviously – the American Conference itself, and Mike Oresco and Scott Draper, the uh, associate AD in charge of football there. So really great relationship with the conference. And obviously living in Orlando, being so close to UCF, um, you know, I, I really love this conference. And I, I've always been beating on the drum for this conference from years ago, saying it doesn't get the recognition it, it should and the respect it should nationally. Now, they're starting to get a little more. I still don't think they get as much as 
as they should. But this is a big year for this conference. And it's one thing I've seen over the years with this conference is from top to bottom, it's gotten so much stronger. So it should be a fascinating year in the American this year. Yes, and you talk about the respect factor. So uh, Cincinnati gets a number eight ranking in the AP poll. So uh, that's a, certainly a good sign of respect out of the gate. And that's huge, right? Because at, at the end of the day, if you want to make the playoff, I mean, in the top four, and I think we all know that the system is just, it, it's just, it's not built for the group of five team or, or, this, or the, you know, the non, uh, I'm not even going to say power five. Mike Oresco was beating that into me. It's <laughs> autonomous five. The, the system is set up for the playoff for the autonomous five. It just is. Um, but if you are going to make it as a group of five team, you have to start high in the poll. So Cincinnati's in a beautiful spot where they are. Now they have to take care of business and, and really run the table. You know, if you start at eight or nine and you run the table, I find it very hard not to make uh, the top four at the end of the year. Now, you know, would it surprise me if they ran the table and they didn't put them in? Nah, not really, because that's just the way the system is. But uh, but they're in a good uh, spot to start the season. Now, unfortunately for them, they're going to have the big bullseye on them. And as we talked about earlier, I just think this conference is really good, and everyone's going to be slinging darts and arrows at Cincy this year. Yeah, so let's uh, talk about the conference a little bit more in depth, too. So UCF, uh, the Gus Malzahn era gets underway. What do you see happening with the Knights? Listen, I, I, I'm bullish on UCF, and I, not just because I'm 15 minutes away from the stadium. Um, I, you know, They have to fix their defensive issues. I mean, that's, you don't have to be an analyst to know that. I just thought linebacker play last year, suffered but it it really suffered from the defensive front in the hole really the front seven but we know they're shoring up their defensive line right they clear davis comes back who opted out last year so that's huge you get big camp ryan who was who was an all sec defensive lineman so just adding those two up front and then all the linebackers that i thought had a tough time last year they're all back so they gained a ton of experience they had spring ball yet you bring in new coaches uh, you know, new looks on defense. I think offensively they'll be fine. I think UCF fans need to realize, though, um, that Gus Malzahn is a run-first offensive coordinator. He it just he is, and I, I like that because I think, you know, I'm, I'm old school, I'm old-fashioned. I just think if you establish the run, then you can do anything you want off the run. And I, I just think if they can do that, uh, it's going to help Dylan Gabriel tremendously. Now, what's, now the other, you know, the – eight million pound gorilla in the room is they're having issues at running back, right? They got injuries, uh, you know, uh, Ventavious Thompson's no longer on the roster. So issues there. Um, so we'll see if someone can step up, um, and, and, and fill that role. But again, if they can play better on defense, um, I think offensively they're going to score points again. Gabriel, I think throws one of the best deep balls in the country. And although they lost some guys at wide receiver, look at all the people they picked up. Via the transfer portal, he picked up what Brandon Johnson from Tennessee, Jordan Johnson from Notre Dame, um, Jalen Robinson's back at an excellent year last year. You get the Nate Craig Myers uh, player that was kind of an Auburn, Colorado State guy. So hopefully they're all, you know, I haven't checked. So hopefully they're all on the roster and everything's still going forward for them. But yeah, I, I really think uh, UCF's the team that Cincy needs to watch out for. And, of course, you look at the other teams like SMU, Memphis, uh, Tulsa. All three of those schools, though, are replacing quarterbacks, and especially in the cases of SMU and Memphis, really good quarterbacks. Yeah, so SMU's a fascinating story because they have a transfer from Oklahoma. Oklahoma, uh, His name's Tanner Mordecai. Okay, really good player, high profile, 
And then they got in, and I, I want to say he was a, a five-star recruit, five- or four-star recruit, but everyone thought he was going to go to Texas, and SMU gets him, a kid by the name of Preston Stone. And from, from what I've heard, this kid is unreal. So what I'm hearing out of, out of Dallas is whoever wins the job, whether it's Tanner Mordecai or Preston Stone, they're going to be fine at quarterback. Now, again, you kind of touched on it. New quarterback experience means the world, right? So going to be lacking a little experience, although I'm, I'm pretty sure Tanner Mordecai, I don't have my notes in front of me, I think he's he played a, a, a fair amount in Oklahoma. He's got some reps under him. Um, but, you know, getting back to the respect thing for the American, uh, and, and a lot of this came up when I was at the American uh, Conference Media Days because it's right there in Dallas that this Preston Stone, a lot of people in Texas thought he was going to go to, to Texas, and he goes to SMU, so everyone's like, holy cow, SMU gets this recruit. So you're starting to see the American uh, get some of these big-time recruits. So that, that'll be a story to watch, but I'm, but, I, but I'm with you. I have SMU right up there with UCF is uh, a team that, that potentially could win this whole thing. And then Memphis, as you said, this will be a really interesting year. So Ryan Silverfield, um, the head coach, think about his story. So he uh, he takes over, um, and he takes over, and he's got to put his staff together, and he's got to play in the New Year's Six Bowl game, right, because they had made it. So he's doing all that stuff, and it's like a whirlwind. And then he's you know trying to put his staff together, takes a deep breath after the New Year's Six game, and COVID hits. So he can't play spring ball, and then they threw that season in together. And really, they went eight and three last year, five and three in conference, won their bowl game. So you got to give Ryan Silverfield, you know, all the credit in the world. But you're right, um, quarterback issue, right? So Brady White, who was their quarterback, and you say Brady White, everyone remembers him because every time, you know, for the last eight years, it was you thought you put on TV, and Brady White was still there, <laughs> right? He played forever. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting. They got a transfer in by the name of Grant, Grant Gunnell uh, from Arizona. He's got seven career starts, so he's got a little uh, a little experience under his belt. And then they got a kid by the name of Pete Parrish, who's an LSU transfer. So I'm guessing it's going to be one of those two. And Gunnell is a a tall play a tall quarterback. He's that kind of prototypical uh pocket passer you see six foot six big kid Brady White was pretty tall as well he was six foot three or six foot four but for those of you in central Florida if you remember years ago Paxton Lynch that was up there at Memphis and he was a central Florida player here in high school um was six seven six eight and uh so I think Grant Gannell is kind of like him so it'll be interesting to see who wins that job but again you're right experience goes a long way with these quarterbacks and then other schools in the conference, you know, and, and some more than others affected by COVID last year. You certainly look at, uh, at Temple at Houston. Um, you know, then then you look at a team like Tulane under Willie Fritz that's continued to make strides over the last few years. And and you you figure Navy's going to rebound, and South Florida will probably continue to improve under Jeff Scott. So there's a lot of a lot of upward momentum as you've talked about. Well, and to me, no team, no team was affected worse than Temple mm-hmm. and Rod Carey. They were just devastated last year with COVID. First of all, in Philadelphia, I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't do anything. The, the limitations of what they were allowed to do in that city was devastating in and of itself. And then just the start and stop, and so they were just devastated. So, I mean, biggest turnaround I, to me, it's got to be Temple because they have nowhere to go but up. And Rod Carey's an excellent coach. We know what he did in, in Northern Illinois, so. I think they're going to go up now. Does up mean two or three wins? I mean, who knows? But they're going to be improved. Um, Tulane, Tulane to me, uh, has always been that team 
kind of on the outside, the back end of the American Athletic Conference that over the past couple of years has moved up to a middle-tier team that's really on the verge, right, of, of popping in there, becoming one of those teams that, that can really uh, cause some issues. And I like Willie Fritz. I like what he's got there. I really like his defense, what he's bringing back. He's got a quarterback uh, in Michael Pratt that as a true freshman last year threw 20 touchdowns, the most of any true freshman in the country. And as I said, defense-wise, they got one of the best, in my opinion, linebacking crews in, in the entire country, let alone the American Athletic Conference. So uh, you can watch out for Tulane as well. And then Houston's that other one, right? Dana Holgerson, right, third year. I mean, this is, I think, the year that he has to start to make a splash. I don't think he would argue if I said his teams have kind of underachieved to this point. But, again, I think it takes – three to four years to get that quote-unquote culture to start to change with you. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what Houston does, and I think they're a dangerous team. And I did their bowl game last year where they just did not want to be there. Uh, University of Hawaii took it to them, so they did not end the season uh, on a good note. But, again, they get Clayton Toon back, and Clayton Toon's a quarterback that just was not in any rhythm whatsoever last year. Um, and just with so much going on, there's another team, a lot of – a lot of COVID interruptions with Houston last year. So um, be interesting to see what they do. And then you talked about, I think USF, I, I give Jeff Scott a pass. I mean, you're a first-year coach. You're taking over a program that's rebuilding. You come in there and you're hit with COVID, right? So you got no spring ball, nothing. So to me, Jeff Scott, that's a pass last year. To me, for all intents and purposes, this is his first year. And I think he'll he'll improve as well. And then again, with the transfer portal, some teams have but brought some some uh, some players in there. And, of course, Navy, they always rebound. If you look at Kenny Amatololo's record uh, through the years, and he's the most tenured coach in the, in the American at 14 years, every time they have a, a bad year, they always rebound that next year. And I just think that's in part to the discipline, right, of being at a, at a, uh, at a Naval Academy and, and the discipline and coaching that they have there. So, Three and seven last year for Navy, so look for them to make a market improvement as well. And of course, they're always a tough team to get ready for when they get things rolling. And of course, uh, we will touch a little bit on the potential expansion of the college football playoff. But as far as the current uh, situation this year, and you know, is it still going to be the same suspects: Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, and Ohio State? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I guess I would say unfortunately yes for college football. But if you're a fan of those teams, you're not. You don't want to say unfortunately. But yeah, I believe it is. Um, until someone steps up. I'm looking at the AP right now. So, yeah, Oklahoma. Oklahoma is the one I think that's a usual suspect, but they still haven't been able to get there and win it. So, obviously, their defense is really shored up, right, under Alex Grinch, their new defensive coordinator. So, it'll be interesting to watch them play. And, of course, all the vitriol they're going to get uh, in the Big 12 Conference. Um, so, that's going to be fascinating. Uh, Clemson, once again, uh, DJ Uyunglele. A younger quarterback, but he's got experience, and so I think they'll be okay. Ohio State, once again, and then Georgia's the one, right? A lot of lot of uh, pundits out there are picking Georgia this year to be the one that knocks uh, Alabama off, if you will, and get in there. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what Kirby Smart does with them. Again, a loaded team. Texas A&M, I think Jimbo Fisher, they're a step away as well. But until one of these programs steps up and does do it, and beats Alabama and knocks off Clemson. You got to go with the usual, you know, four or five teams. Yeah. Once again, 
Yeah, and uh, is there anybody out there that you uh, kind of have you that's on your radar that you might think might be a surprise team uh, in college football this year? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of looking. Listen, I, I if and we talked about this earlier, if Cincy can run the table, they're going to be the surprise team. And I really do. I think they're they're in a spot, and they got enough attention last year and all the talk that's been going on. I think they're the team if they can run the table um, is going to be you know, crashing the party. As I look down the line, I think, you know, I, I, a, a surprise team, I don't think to get into the playoff, but I think they surprised people last year, and I think they got a lot of talent back, and that's Coastal Carolina. I just happened to go there three times last year because of my COVID crazy schedule. So Grayson McCall is their quarterback. They're starting in the 22 hole. Um, so I think that they, they're going to be a very good team again. But as far as, you know, kind of, skirting in there and, and making a playoff uh, push. Again, I think it's Cincinnati if they can run the table. I'm curious to see what Iowa State does. They're ranked pretty high preseason uh, with Brock Purdy, their quarterback. Um, so we'll see. But, yeah, it should be a fun year. Hopefully it's a un- in, an uninterrupted year, and uh, we can see a lot of great matchups. And that's the one thing I think we all missed last year, I know I missed, is the, the non-conference matchups, right? Like everyone loved the – yeah, we're going to play, you know, 10 conference opponents in the SEC. But you miss those non-conference matchups, right? And we're getting so many of them right out of the bat in week zero and week one. So, to me, that's college football. Yeah, absolutely. So, college football playoff expansion, the the, the talk is of going to 12 teams. Uh, you know, news has been a little quiet on that as of late, but there was momentum uh, uh, during the course of the summer. How do you think all that plays out? Yeah, I think it'll get momentum again. I, I mean, the only thing that stopped that momentum was uh, the Texas-Oklahoma, and, and you get it, right, while well, that stopped the momentum. But I think it's a no-brainer. When this first started, I was one of the, you know, grumpy old men, get off my lawn, four is good enough, Don't it doesn't need to be fixed, it's not broken. And it, I think for the first couple years, it was great, because it was new, right? But then we've, we've evolved to a place where, it, and you said, you said it earlier, it's the usual suspects. So let's be honest, when the season starts, maybe there's 15 or 16 schools that have a legitimate shot, and I'm probably high at that number, right? <laughs> and so, you know, it, it can be very discouraging for a fan base to start a season thinking, we don't even have a shot to win the national championship, right? Yeah, we, we can go to a nice bowl, we can get to a New Year's Six, but in the back of your mind as a fan, even as a player in a program, you want to have a shot win it all. And guess what? Maybe you can't beat an Oklahoma or an Ohio State or an Alabama, but at least have the ability to get the shot at doing it, right? Because you know you don't play the games on paper. You, you get on the field and anything can happen. So I think 12, I, I love what the working committee did. I love the fact they said that top six highest-ranked conference champions, they didn't say autonomous five plus one. And we know that if you put that four-man in last year, you would have had two group of five conferences in. You would have had Coastal Carolina on the Sun Belt, and you would have had Cincinnati on the American. So I love that part of it. Um, and I, I just think it it, it it just makes it that much more exciting. And the other knock I heard was, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take away the tour regular season. I, I totally disagree with anyone that says that. I think it puts more emphasis on the regular season. It makes those games so much more important knowing 
that your conference champion gets an automatic bid. So to me, it's the best of both worlds. And I think logistically, they just have to work out with the Bulls because we don't want the Bulls to go away. Listen, they're highly rated. You know, people always say, oh, this, this Bulls junk, blah, 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 blah. But guess what? People watch them every year. They get millions upon millions of people to watch, and the ratings are great. And there's good tradition. And and I and I know there's people that say, "Well, if you're six and six, you shouldn't go to a bowl. You shouldn't be rewarded." Listen, those kids practice their tails off. Those programs put a lot into it. It means a lot to a program, uh, especially those that have never been to a bowl or very infrequently get to a bowl to make it there for their fan base. So the bowls aren't going away. Now they have to figure out a way to work them in, right? I mean, how are they going to do it? I think the working group said that first-round game um, would be at the higher seeds home stadium, which I agree, and I think the programs will like that too because that gets you another home gate, right, another home game. But I, I think the, the fascinating thing is if, if you lose, if it goes to 12 and you lose that first-round game, are you then still eligible to go to a bowl game? So. Things like that, I think they'll work out. But, yeah, I, I think it's inevitable. I think it's going to go, Jeff. I just, you know, I, I don't think it's it's uh, if it happens, it's when it happens is when they got to figure it out. Yeah. And, of course, you mentioned, you know, the reason that it went a little quiet was the uh, Texas-Oklahoma impending departure from uh, the Big 12 to the SEC. Um, give me your take on, on, that, on that situation. Yeah, fascinating that it was not leaked at all, right? I mean, it's amazing. In this day and age, with, you know, all the social media out there and all the people out there, that they could keep that quiet, to me, is just, that's fascinating. And, and they did it, right? And you, can you, you can't not blame Oklahoma and Texas, because when you just listen to Bob Bowlesby, what he said, right, that he puts it at that they they brought in half the revenue of those two programs. But, you know, we've seen reports that they've really brought in 60, 70, up to 80 percent. But if you even take his account of 50 percent, that means those two programs are worth 70 million apiece. Right. <laughs> but they're only getting 35 million staying there. So why would you stay? Right. Um, and now you're in, you know, the, it's not even arguably you, you're you've moved into the best conference in college football. 16 teams now, 16 great programs, and uh, so that's going to be unbelievable. And so now I think the dominoes will, I think cooler heads have prevailed right now, but if if you don't think individual programs are out there kind of testing the water, searching, looking, talking, then you're nuts because they are, right? I know the conferences are doing their own thing too, but at the end of the day, if you're, a, if you're a school president or a chancellor or a board of trustees, you have to do what's best for your school, your program. And I told someone the other day on an interview, you, you have to be forward thinking. And when I say forward thinking, you're not thinking about next year or two years or three years. You need to be thinking 15, 20, 25, 30, 40 years down the road. And that's what the Oklahoma-Texas deal does for them as, a, as, as programs. And that's what it does for the SEC, um, you know, so I, it was a fascinating move. It was the right move for all. Yes, a lot of feelings got hurt. I get it, right? You understand. And now we'll, we'll see when the next domino drops. And that, to me, that's going to be the interesting thing. Because I think what, once one more piece happens, i.e. another school makes a move, then I, th- then I think you're going to see other schools say, yep, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. And I think you're going to see a lot more realignment. And then, of course, the, uh, the alliance that's uh, being talked about, right, between the ACC Big Ten and Pac-12, uh, I think that's a smart move for all of them, too, because 
what are we talking about here at the end of the day? We're talking about TV revenue, TV money. And so the better matchups you can provide the networks, uh, the more money you're going to get on the back end in, in those deals. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a fascinating time in college football. I wouldn't panic. I know a lot of people think it's, oh, NIL and realignment and super conferences. It always works itself out. I, I, we'll, we'll be fine. Yeah, you know, the, 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 the impending doom thought of super conferences has been around for a long time now. Yeah. Uh, do, you, you know, do you think it eventually does happen? Well, I do think I do think there's going to be realignment where uh, the, the, I, I, it's just totally my opinion. I, I think something's going to happen, obviously, uh, either with the Big Twelve or the American, right? I think those are the two big pieces. So let's let's say, you know we know what we know what the SEC did. I, I don't foresee the SEC getting anyone else. I think they're content with sixteen. It looks great. I, really, those other conferences. I guess if, if anyone was going to add, I guess the Big Twelve. I mean, the Pac Twelve might might would want to take a couple from the Big Twelve. But if they can do some type of TV alliance, I think that sures them up. I mean, the other wild card is you know Notre Dame is is a quasi ACC member, so you know they're a member in all every other sport for the ACC. But just you know football, they're independent, but they still play ACC schools. Now you know West Virginia logistically would be a perfect fit for the ACC. And you would add uh, natural rivalries that were big rivalries back in the day. I mean, West Virginia Pitt, it doesn't get much bigger than that if you want to just talk about old school rivalries. And West Virginia always had played uh, Virginia Tech and Syracuse back in the day. So that would be an interesting thing, too, um, if that happened. But again, does it enhance your your your? TV platform, revenue-wise, I, I would think it would because you'd pick up some good rivalry games. Um, so it'll be interesting. And, uh, and so what happens to the Big 12 and what happens to the American, right? That's what you got to keep your eye on. But uh, but we'll see. So I, my opinion is down the road something's going to happen more. Yeah, there'll be definitely something to – to keep an eye on, that is for sure. And uh, interesting news that uh, broke today from uh, Brett McMurphy uh, regarding Nebraska. They're under investigation for improper use of analysts and consultants during practices and games. And, uh, you know, Scott Frost was brought back to be the conquering hero to bring, you know, Nebraska back to its glory. Twelve wins in three years, uh, you know, it, it's been tough sledding, and this only makes the job harder for him. Yeah, and I, mean, I and I know some of those coaches personally on that staff, and I, and I can tell you, and I, I think I'm speaking out of turn. I think a lot of people know this. It was a really hard decision for Scott Frost. He did not want to leave UCF. None of those coaches did. They loved it here. They loved Orlando. Um, but you know, the problem is when your alma mater comes calling like that, and they offer you so much money. I mean, it's and they do have unbelievable facilities and sellout crowds. It's just. Nebraska isn't the Nebraska of 30, 40 years ago where they were a national brand and, and they weren't really competing against other national brands other than a couple like, you know, Notre Dame and USC. And, and, and so they could do it. Well, now the way the country is, I mean, they're still a national brand, but I mean, recruiting is just totally different and they just have not been able to turn it around there. So, and then to me with this analyst thing, I mean, everyone uses analysts around the country. I would venture to say, if you put a microscope on every program, I'm probably uh, not talking on a turn also saying that they probably misuse their analysts as well. So to me, it kind of smells like, and I'm not the first to say this, it was all over Twitter and 
people's opinions that it almost kind of looks like they're setting something up here to just kind of say, you know, Scott, we tried, we need to part ways. I don't know if there's going to be a type of settlement or, or a show cause type thing because you're quote unquote breaking the rules. So it'll be interesting to see what happens up there. But man, you hate to see any type of microscope like that uh, on your program, especially right before you kick off a season. So It'll be interesting to see what happens up there. Yeah, because you know, he's got a huge buyout, and then, of course, he's got a new athletic director who did not hire him in another uh, Cornhusker legend intro of Alberts. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, a lot going on up there for sure. And, yeah, let's let's not kid ourselves. If a, if a school can get out of the buyout, right, they're going to get out of it because that's just you're just paying because when you buy someone out, I mean, look at Auburn. I didn't even know the number was what it was, but I heard today the number to – but Gus Malzango was $21 million. So, you know, Gus, I'm sure, took that $21 million and gladly said, well, yeah, come to Orlando, find a nice big house and, and go to a program that's that's set and ready and that he knows he can win with. So, yeah, it's, it, the buyouts are fascinating. Yeah, let's circle back to UCF on that note, too. So they open the season at home against Boise State. Now, you're talking about two of the programs in the last decade who have, you know, been two of the big, you know, cage rattlers against the autonomous five so uh, this is an interesting matchup uh, for, for all those intensive purposes does this game make or break the season for either of these schools I, I don't think it makes or break it uh necessarily but i think it can really help you make it if you get this win because again thursday night espn national television audience um and i just love all the little side things right so Gus Malzahn was at Auburn. He gets let go. He comes to UCF. Brian Harson was at Boise. He leaves, goes to Auburn. Now, you know, Boise's got a new, new coach in there. And, and that's a program, and I, I'm with you, Jeff. They just, they kind of always reload, right? They just, they have for years. They have been up there. They have been the gold standard of the group of five. Now, I, I don't know much about that program this year. I haven't really studied up on them. I did a game up there a couple of years ago. So when Brian Harson was there, and, and he was a great coach, um, so that'll be uh, that'll be uh, an interesting matchup. But again, I just think if you're UCF, that's one that, and of course it's the first one, so you're going to be surfed on that baby. Again, the bounce house will be sold out. It's going to literally be shaking. Um, you get a team that's, although not a power five, you know, as you said, a, a, you know, a gold standard in a group of five. You're going to have the TV window to yourself. It's it's a chance for both of those teams, as you said. To really get out of the blocks and show themselves, so yeah, it's a, it's a, so not make or break, but but I think more of a help you really make it if you can get a get a good win uh, on September fourth or excuse me September second. Let me get that wrong. Yeah, no worries. So, Randy, I've always enjoy our conversations and uh, in, in your takes about college football. Thank you so much for being on the show once again. And uh, where can folks follow you on Twitter? Yeah, just my name, Rene Angolia. It's, it's weird, uh, R-E-N-E-I-N-G-O-G-L-I-A. And, yeah, I usually post the games I'll be calling. And, again, uh, you can usually find me on ESPNU. I'll either have the noon, mid, or late game uh, on that network. Sometimes I'll slide over to ESPN2. And so we'll see. Hopefully I'll get some American games. Uh, hopefully I can uh, maybe get a UCF game, one or two. It would be nice. So we'll see. But it should be a good year, and I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, outstanding. We wish you the best for that as well. You got it, Jeff. Thanks for having me. And now let's close things out with a TV theme. Now 
This is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel-Air In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground is where I spent most of my days Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool and all shooting some b-ball outside of the school When a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood I got in one little fight and my mom got scared and said you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel-Air I begged and pleaded with her day after day but she packed my suitcase and sent me on my way She gave me a kiss and then she gave me my ticket I put my walkman on and said I might as well kick it First class, yo, this is bad Drinking orange juice out of a champagne glass Is this what the people of Bel-Air living like? Hmm, this might be alright I whistled for a cab and when it came near The license plate said fresh and it had dice in the mirror If anything, I could say that this cab was rare But I thought, man, forget it, yo, home's the Bel-Air I pulled up to the house about seven or eight And I yelled to the cabbie, yo home, smell you later Looked at my kingdom, I was finally there To sit on my throne as the Prince of Bel-Air The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air it aired on NBC September 1990 to May 1996, starring Will Smith, a fictionalized version of himself, street smart teenager born and raised in West Philly, sent to move in with his wealthy uncle and aunt in their Bel Air mansion after a fight at a local playground in his neighborhood, and uh, all sorts of hilarity and whatnot ensued uh, during his life as the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and obviously Smith turned that as his... Uh, launching pad into becoming a super television and movie star. And uh, ironically, they just had a reunion special uh, reuniting the original cast on HBO Max last year. And uh, apparently a more dramatic reboot based on the uh, fan film Bel Air is an active development with a two-season order for Peacock. But as we said, Will Smith played Will Smith. (laughs) <laughs> and not the it's not the pitcher and the catcher in the major leagues uh certainly a, a superstar out of all that the other cast members james avery played philip banks's uncle there were two aunt vivians janet hubert was the original apparently uh replaced after friction with mr smith and then replaced by daphne maxwell reed the wife of tim reed so she was aunt viv uh, from seasons four through six. Alfonso Ribeiro played his cousin Carlton Banks, and who didn't love him breaking into the Carlton when he'd uh, get his groove on dancing to Tom Jones music. <laughs> Karen Parsons played his uh, Hillary. Tatiana Ali played Ashley Banks. Joseph Marcel played Jeffrey Butler, the butler. So <laughs> there you go. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, our uh, TV theme for this week. And with that, we are done here. 
Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.